What you're about to hear is a bonus episode of Horror Movie Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, our shows generally have between two to four hosts, and they run at least two hours long. A lot of times it's a lot longer. And what you're hearing right now is our typical level of audio quality. But episode 40 here is a little creative venture of sorts, and what follows was recorded while on the road. So even though the sound quality will not be as good as usual, I think you'll be able to appreciate what I was going for. Hi, and welcome to a special bonus edition of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is typically a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 40. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, and I'm not podcasting from Salt Lake City. At the moment, I'm podcasting from the airport in Phoenix, Arizona, so please excuse all the ambient noise in the background, but this one's coming to you live from the field. And this episode will be a Jay of the Dead solo cast, for the most part, and I'm calling this show the I-80 Tapes. So let me try to explain my vision for this episode and what I'm trying to accomplish here. I have this weird thing where I love to find horror movies in places that are off the beaten path, especially lesser known or lesser celebrated movies. For instance, I like to go into a small town library and see what horror flicks are in their movie rental section. But my favorite thing to do is to stop at a gas station, especially one that I've never visited before in my life, and will probably never visit again, and just see which horror films are in their $5 rack. Now, I'm not talking about movies that everybody knows and has seen. You know, you see those at every gas station, like Final Destination, or something that's overly familiar like that. I like to find movies like Inside, or Buried Alive, or Prey, or Moscow Zero. So even if they suck, which many of them do, I still like to see them there, and especially if they're, you know, a little bit lesser known. And sometimes I'll just go ahead and purchase them for five bucks and just give them a watch, just because it's, I don't know, I've said it before, but it's the American dream. Go in, get a Coca-Cola, maybe get some Doritos, and, you know, head back home at 10 p.m. and watch a horror movie. I'm serious, I just love to do that. Anyway, so I get my jollies from checking out the $5 rack, and especially if it's located in some out-of-the-way place. So that's part one of this big preamble. Here's part two. I live in Salt Lake City, but I'm from West Virginia. My mom still lives there, but I'm flying to her house right now. I'm on a layover, and she lives in Moundsville, West Virginia. And I'm going there to help her move all of her stuff across the United States from West Virginia to Utah, where I live. And for those who don't know, that's about 2,500 miles, or it's like a four-day drive. And by the way, she's not going to live with me. She's just going to live near me. (laughs) So I've got this layover in Phoenix here where I'm presently recording this right now. And then I'm flying to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and driving to her house in West Virginia. And I'll be leaving tomorrow morning, which is Monday, January 19th. 
We're hopping in this big 26-foot Penske moving truck with a car in tow behind us. And then we're heading west on Interstate 70. And then we're going to pick up Interstate 80. And then we'll be cruising west on Interstate 80 for several days. Hence the name, the I-80 Tapes. We'll be traveling through big cities like Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, Champaign, Illinois, Peoria, Illinois, Davenport, Iowa, Iowa City, Iowa, and one of my favorite places in the world, which is Grinnell, Iowa. It's this mysterious little small town that kind of beckons to me. It's really weird. They have a Walmart and a Dairy Queen, and I love it. And then cruising through Des Moines, Iowa. So a big shout out right here to listener Josh Miner. Josh, my mom and I are probably going to actually be seeing the movie American Sniper this week at your Century 20 Jordan Creek Theater in West Des Moines. If there had been a horror movie playing this week, I would have tried to reach out to you so we could catch a horror movie together. That would have been cool. Anyway, continuing westward on I-80, I'm going to be cruising through Omaha, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, North Platte, Nebraska, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Evanston, Wyoming, and then back to Salt Lake City, Utah once again. It usually takes me about four days to make this trip, but I figure that my mom will probably need five days or so, so we'll be getting back to Salt Lake City on Friday, January 23rd, when this episode releases. But here's the fun part about all this horror fans. I'll be stopping at tons of gas stations along the way. Places that for me, a Utah man, are way out of the way places that I may never see again. And I'm going to go check out their horror flicks and report on what I see there. But more importantly, if I see something interesting, I'm going to purchase it and watch it in the hotel that night after driving all day, and then give you an on-the-road, in-the-field movie review of that horror flick. Now, Bill Shetty, eat your heart out, brother, with your horror-on-the-go concept, because Horror Movie Podcast is truly on the road this week, baby, because we're dead serious about horror movies, even crappy $5 rack horror movies. <laughs> But I'm just messing with you, brother. I actually want to tell people I hope to get Bill Shetty back on the show here soon. I miss that guy a lot, and we've got to talk about his top 10 horror list for 2014. That's my favorite list of the year. You can check out Bill Shetty and his very cool show at HorrorOnTheGo.com. So a little plug there. Anyway, I'm going to be stopping off at these little roadside places hoping to find some gems, some obscure diamonds in the rough maybe. And even though you may have heard of these movies, or maybe you've seen them, or maybe you have them at your own local Circle K or 7-Eleven or Maverick gas station, the fact remains... I'll be finding them while on the road and recording these reviews, so it's kind of magical, at least for me. For instance, I've done this same cross-country drive three times before, and I'm going to try to see what horror movies are in Grinnell, Iowa. And Cheyenne, Wyoming has always looked like the setting of a horror film to me. I always feel like when I stay in Cheyenne that I'm going to be killed there at night. So no disrespect. It's just there's something about the ambiance there. It almost looks like a place where a Coen Brothers film should be shot. Anyway, and here's my safeguard just to make sure that this episode doesn't completely suck. Number one, I've got a couple of new 2015 horror movie reviews that I've been saving 
for you, just in case. And number two, I brought some weird, rare, thematically relevant horror flicks to watch. Flicks that I found down in Las Vegas at my favorite store, that Zia Records store. Some really cool stuff. They'll probably be terrible movies, but they have very interesting titles, and they'll be fun to review on this podcast if I need them. So I brought those with me in case all the gas stations along I-80 just have Hostel 2 and Final Destination, stuff you already know about. And number three, I'll have my Necromomicon with me, and that's going to be plenty weird, right? I'm a 38-year-old man cruising across America with my mom as my co-pilot, and we'll be watching horror flicks in the hotel at night, and she's not even a horror fan. And then I'm going to be recording these podcast segments from various cities, so this is going to be very weird, but it's fun. So that's the premise of the I-80 tapes. I hope you come along on this journey with me. I think we're going to have a good time this week, and if you hate it, don't worry, because next Friday... We're bringing you our next theme episode, which is Dr. Shock's Choice, and it's called When Science Goes Too Far. One more quick little note before we get started. I'm sorry about all this talking, but I'm here in the Phoenix airport, as I said, and I just have to tell you that being on a layover like this in some random city is like my favorite thing in the world because I feel absolutely free. Nobody knows me here, so I can transform into a completely different person. I can be just about anybody with no inhibitions, and nobody knows me, so it's fine. Anyway, I love that, and I guess that's a good thing because I'm sitting here with these giant headphones on. I got my recorder up to my face, and I'm just recording this podcast right here in the middle of this airport because I'm dead serious about horror movies. Anyway, without any further delay, let's jump into Jay of the Dead's first I-80 tapes review, and let's start with something good. So here is my feature review of a new film from 2015 called Preservation. Alcohol and firearms, an eerie family tradition. My wife has got her game face on. Let's go hunting. What trail are we taking? We don't follow the trails, we follow the animals. Don't worry, we won't get lost. This was supposed to be our weekend. He's my mother. He isn't just on leave. He told me he was discharged. Oh, God! But he won't tell me why. I'm not exactly the hunting type. I don't think I could actually kill. You'd be surprised what you can do when it needs to be done. Okay, Jay of the Dead here, uh, still broadcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, in the airport. So, this film, Preservation, is a new 2015 horror film that was written and directed by Christopher Denham. And I have to be really careful while reviewing this because it's one of those movies whose experience is in the way that it unfolds. So I'll classify this as a survival horror type of slasher flick with some influences reminiscent of a home invasion type of narrative along the lines of The Strangers. And if anyone remembers a movie that I loved back in episode 3 of Horror Movie Podcast, it was called The Hike, and it's from 2011. That film's out of the UK. Anyway, this is very similar to The Hike. It could be a sibling of that movie and a great double feature, you know, if you just totally love the hype. So if you dug that movie, you'll dig Preservation for sure. 
Except there's something maybe even a little more disturbing about preservation because it seems even more realistic to me, unfortunately. (laughs) Because something like this could actually happen. In fact, something like this has happened many times. And there was a very famous instance of this in the late 90s, except the setting wasn't in the woods as it is here. Because this movie's set in the wilderness. Now, I would love to talk about the comparisons and probably the influence that came to this movie from that 90s event, but it would be too much of a spoiler. And after you watch this film, you'll know what I'm referring to anyway. So, preservation is set out in the woods. You've got two brothers, uh, they're the Neary family. One of them is a recently returned or recently discharged veteran who was in military service. He saw some action over in the Middle East. And then the other brother's kind of a goof. He's kind of a doofus. And he brought his wife along. Now, these two brothers, they have a history of hunting together. That was a big thing that their family did. And so they've gone out to this nature preservation, which, you know, the title is a double entendre, of course. But this preserve where they're going to visit is actually closed to the public right now. But, of course, they decide to go out there anyway. Now, one thing I just want to point out here is the tagline really gives you a sense of this film. I think it's something to the effect of, man is the only animal that kills because it's fun. And that really is a great way to describe this film. So you've got these hunters out there. They're both experienced hunters. Of course, the military guy is a lot sharper. And then the wife, I think it is her first time hunting, and so she's out there to try it. And she's very strong-willed and independent, and she has some medical training in her past, of course, which you know is a setup for a later payoff. Now, it takes a little while to get going in this movie, but one morning they wake up, and all their stuff has been stolen, and all three of them have these black X's drawn on their foreheads with a sharpie. (laughs) And this is what Kyle Bishop would call a serious horror movie because we see that the dog that they have with them doesn't fare too well. And that's how our characters realize that they are also in serious danger and that this isn't merely a prankster out in the woods. So they start being stalked and shot at by someone dressed in black with this creepy mask. And then it becomes this slasher type of premise where this killer starts trying to pick them off and sets traps for them. And that's really all I can say about the premise. But let me just tell you this. Even though that sounds really basic and simple, you know, the slasher in the woods formula, it's a premise I love and it's a premise that works. And even so, there is a sick nature to this particular film because of the senseless and cruel nature of the deaths. And it's not that they're extremely graphic, but it's just the senselessness of it and the total disregard for human life. And there's something so scary to me about someone who kills simply for the joy of extinguishing a life, just putting out a candle just to take away that light. And in that way, this film is pretty hardcore. It's pretty upsetting if you get to thinking about it, especially in light of the event that happened in the late 90s that I was referring to. One more thing, 99% of the time, I would prefer that we always have the killer to remain masked. We don't need to know the killer's face or to learn anything about him or her, but in this movie we get a demasking and a humanizing of the killer. And please make note of this, I want to underscore this to you. Even though on the surface, the removing of the mask and the brief personal moment that we get 
You would think that that helps us learn about the killer, and on paper it should humanize the killer, but it actually serves in this film to dehumanize the killer even further because it shows an absence of humanity. Now, I can't go into why, but there's a very disturbing scene. It's powerful and effective. Watch for it. It involves an unexpected cell phone call, and it's incredible to me. And side note, that's something else that I appreciate about this film. For the most part, the cell phones work out in the woods where they are in this nature preserve, and they even have GPS at one point, which you would think would serve the survivalists, but, (laughs) uh, well, you'll see. Two more notes. This film does have a strong female character, so I think the ladies out there will appreciate and enjoy rooting for the strong feminine presence of the wife, played by actress Ren Schmidt. And the score of this movie is tremendous to me. It's very effective, it's somewhat subtle, it's spare, but it's worth paying attention to. So take note of that, because it truly enhances the tone, the mood, and the action of this film. The score was composed and produced by Samuel Jones and Alexis Marsh, and also performed by them, so big props to those guys. If you're an independent horror filmmaker and you need to score your film, I'd recommend looking up Samuel Jones and Alexis Marsh. I don't know them at all, but I love what they did with this film. Anyway, Preservation from 2015 is an 8 out of 10 for me. It's a strong rental. It would be in the buy it category because it's of that quality to me, but it's really one of those one-time watch type of experiences where once you've seen it, you've seen it, but you'll be glad that you did, especially if you dig slasher in the woods, survival horror movies. So Preservation, 2015, it's an 8 out of 10, and Jay of the Dead recommends a strong rental. Okay, so it's still Sunday, January 18th, and Jay of the Dead reporting here for Horror Movie Podcast, and I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm in the Pittsburgh airport, and I just wanted to jump on here real fast to report that both the Phoenix airport and the Pittsburgh airports are lame because they have no horror movies for sale. One time, I had a layover in Baltimore, just recently actually, And there was a little stand of horror movies, and they had Silent House, and a Frankenstein movie, and they had some stuff. But these airports are totally lame. I just wanted to mention that. I guess it's not really relevant. But anyway, (laughs) continuing on in my journey. Right outside the Pittsburgh airport, there's a Sunoco gas station, and they have a movie rack here. Yeah, they got David Cronenberg's The Fly, and they even got The Fly 2 Collector's Edition here. I see they got M. Night Shyamalan's Devil, which is more of a thriller. And then they have that Frankenstein movie that I was just referring to. It's Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. I've never seen that, but it's got John Hurt in it. And they've got John Carpenter's The Fog. Okay, it's Jay of the Dead here. And I am currently driving through downtown Wheeling, West Virginia with my Necromomicon. Say hi to the horror fans, Mom. Hi, horror fans. (laughs) Hey, Mom, tell everybody what's your favorite horror movie of all time. My favorite horror movie? Yep. Um, let's see. 
Well, I might have two. I really thought that Stephen King's Salem's Lot with the green vampire yes. was really, really scary. Yes. But then there is also Pet Cemetery. And yes. Do you remember that? You and your cousin begged and begged and begged me to go see that movie, and I didn't want to go see that movie, and you said, oh, yeah, we got to go see that movie. <laughs> so I sit there through this movie, watching the score, and the last minute and a half, you and your cousin jumped up and ran out because you couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> Do you remember that? I still think that's the scariest movie ever. Well, I sat and watched it. I don't know. Did you ever get to see the end of it? Yeah, I've, I've watched it a couple times now ever since that. <laughs> Well, we just want to give a shout-out as we drive through Wheeling, West Virginia, my hometown. We want to give some love to Steve from Horror After Bath Time. He lives here, too. And I don't even know the guy, but it's so cool because he's from our same town and he listens to horror movie podcasts. So, anyway, this is the beginning of a fun trip. We're going to have a good time, huh? We're going to have a great time. I'm broadcasting now from Moundsville, West Virginia. And Moundsville is actually a neat town because in the middle of the town, there is a giant penitentiary that used to house some pretty serious hardcore prisoners. It looks like a castle. You could Google it. It's the Moundsville Penitentiary. It's pretty impressive. And right across the street from that penitentiary is a giant mound. It's a Native American burial mound is what it is so there used to be obviously lots of bodies in there and that's how i guess there were a lot of mounds around here and that's how this place got the name moundsville but maybe the most notable thing as far as i'm concerned is right now i'm broadcasting right next to that creepy church with the cross that's lit up in the front yard you can see a photo of it in the artwork of episode 23 of Horror Movie Podcast. In fact, I'm in the room right beside that church. So if I looked out the window, that creepy cross is right out there. And it's so weird. Anyway, with the ambiance right here and creepy cross nearby, I think it's time to review another horror movie. At this point, I'm going to move into my feature review of Finders Keepers from 2015. It's going to be so much better than the city, honey. You're going to be happier here, I promise. You'll see. Welcome home. What do you think? I know it's not perfect, but I think with a little bit of work, it'll be great. Did something happen here? Well, it's an old house. It's got a lot of history. Local family found Slane. The kid killed his whole family in my house. You could argue that Finders Keepers is actually 2014 because it was a TV movie. I think it was a sci-fi movie, and it aired on October 18th, 2014. But it has just now become widely available through Redbox and DVD and Amazon and so forth as of January 6, 2015. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a 2015 release because... I don't have the sci-fi channel, nor do I want it. The first thing you should know about Finders Keepers is that the cover art has a pretty creepy looking doll on the front. Even more creepy than Annabelle, I would say. You can check out that cover art and see if it intrigues you. That's really what kind of got me to give it a chance. 
The second thing you should know is that this movie is being promoted misleadingly by the prominent listing of a celebrity name, Steve Austin, but it's not Steve Austin the pro wrestler. It's a similar looking guy named Steve Austin who has worked as a stuntman once in this movie, a stunt driver to be exact, and a special effects technician for a number of years. So what they've done here, and this annoys me to no end, and I think the marketing people need to be called out publicly for this, they've opted to list the cast alphabetically by last name, so this Steve Austin guy's name will be listed first, so everybody will think it stars the professional wrestler, even though this Steve Austin guy actually only plays a very small bit part that amounts to little more than an extra. He's a garbage man in this, and it barely shows him. And as I said, he does some stunt driving for the film, but you can't really tell that. I think that's misleading, and I think it's tacky. No, I'm not super attached to Steve Austin the Wrestler, nor did I rent this film hoping to see Steve Austin the Wrestler, but it just irks me when this film actually has two legit celebrity stars. Well, the lead role, they buried her because her last name starts with a P, as in pretzel. (laughs) I don't know why I said pretzel. It's all the airplane food today. Anyway, that's Jamie Presley. You will recognize her, an attractive blonde actress. She is the lead character in this film, but she's relegated to the jump page on IMDb's casting list. And then there's also Tobin Bell of the Saw series fame. He also has a small supporting role in Finders Keepers, but it's much different from his role in the Saw franchise. And I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, Finders Keepers is a blend of a number of different horror subgenres, and it's an evil doll movie, it's an evil kid movie, it's a little bit of a haunted house movie, and it's a supernatural movie as well. So if that kind of stuff is up your alley, um, maybe this is for you. So here's the premise. Decide for yourself. We've got another horror movie where horror happens to those who deserve it least. We've got a little girl named Claire, played by Kylie Rogers. Her parents recently got divorced, and the mother, played by Jamie Presley, has moved away with Claire, and they've moved away from the father to a new house. And the house they've moved into has a dark history, though they are completely unaware about it due to a dishonest real estate agent. So they don't know about the house's past, which, by the way, we get to learn about and see in the opening scene of the film. That's kind of the curtain raiser is what happens in that house in the past. So young Claire finds a creepy doll with black eyes named Lilith in the floorboards of her room, and it starts to affect Claire's behavior. And I'll just leave it at that. I think the most interesting aspect of this film, which I suspect was not intended, but death of the author and all that considered here, I think the modern application of this, the doll, it's really ambiguous throughout the whole movie, but killings start to occur, and we are not sure whether the doll is actually alive and animated, or whether the doll is making the child commit the killings, but either way, it seems like the child is being employed to carry out the killings. Now, that's not a spoiler, because... Because 
like I said, it never really is clear, and you can just decide for yourself. This is a supernatural film, so I think ultimately it comes down to a supernatural entity. But one read is that the doll is making the kid kill. So I think this could potentially be interpreted as a modern commentary or a critique of those countries where they actually employ children as their soldiers. I mean, we've seen films about this before. There's a military use of children implemented in a number of different countries. So a very sad and sobering phenomenon in the world. So I think that that is an interesting manifestation of that sad world reality showing up in a horror film. So I think it could be interpreted that way. I seriously doubt that they intended it to be a commentary, but it works for me, and I think that's kind of cool. But either way, I think it's fair reading. Now, just some quick trivia about this movie, too. The family home, the place where most of the movie occurs, is supposedly an exact replica of the home in the movie House from 1986. Now, I haven't seen House in I don't know how long, probably since the late 80s, so I couldn't tell you, but supposedly that's the case. So, for a TV movie, Finders Keepers is actually pretty watchable, and I have trouble, honestly, putting my finger on why it's watchable. I think you want to understand how this all works. You want to see it unfold. You want to see who or what is doing the killing, I've revealed to you in this review that it is left ambiguous in case you decide that you don't want to pursue this film or that you would be frustrated and annoyed with an ambiguous ending. Now, I'm not saying that's the point of the film, so truly it's not a spoiler, but I'm just saying I think you could have a stance and a read on it. Anybody that sees this movie, I think, will interpret it in a certain way. But just so you know, it's not clear-cut. But for one reason or another, I mean, it's watchable. It really is. It's nothing great, but at the same time, it's nothing horrible. It doesn't really show any of the kills, a lot of its aftermath, and so this is really much more of a thriller than a horror film. But I will say, to the film's credit, Finders Keepers has a pretty high body count. I did not count the bodies because I didn't think to. I thought it was going to be mild that way, but I think there are at least like 10 people killed in this movie. Anyway, another thing I want to caution you about is the trailer actually looks a lot better than the film actually is. So one thing you could do is watch the trailer, but just know that that's going to get your hopes up for something that it's not. So they've done a good job with the trailer, although it does reveal a lot of the best scenes or the scariest type of scenes. At any rate, you can find Finders Keepers at Redbox currently, but for me, this is like a 4.5 out of 10, and I would call it a very low-priority rental if you're into supernatural, evil doll, evil kid movies that are ambiguous. It's watchable, but it's a mild thriller horror film. For you hardcore fans out there, this isn't going to do it for you, so I just tell you to avoid it. But if you have mild horror sensibilities and you get creeped out pretty easily, I think this movie could do the trick for you. So that is the review of Finders Keepers from 2015. <laughs> 
Okay, so it's Monday, January 19th, and I am in Flushing, Ohio. I have no idea why they named it Flushing, but I'm at the Pilot Travel Center, Truck Driver Center here. So they got some movies here, and I just want to comment on a couple things real quick for you. Number one, of course, they got a Stanley Kubrick collection here. They got uh, The Shining. It was one of those four film favorites thing, but to get other Kubrick movies that are not horror. They do have um, Wolfen, Body Snatchers, Bad Moon. They have Dawn of the Dead remake. They have uh, Paranormal Activity 4.5, the marked ones. They have Stephen King's It. They have Army of Darkness, the number 23, a double feature of I Know What You Did Last Summer and the When a Stranger Calls remake, that sucky one. They have The Hole. That's kind of a kiddie horror movie. And then they have four film favorites, King of Horror. They got Dreamcatcher, Creepshow, and Dolores Claiborne, which has Kathy Bates in it. And this one also has Stephen King's Cat's Eye, which we just talked about. But that's 15 bucks, just saying. And then they got the Draculas. They got Horror of Dracula. Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Dracula AD 1972. Taste the Blood of Dracula. So these are all Christopher Lee stuff hammer horror but i thought that was interesting so nothing here of note just yet but i just wanted to report to my horror movie podcast audience oh and then we have a beastly freaks collection we have slither trimmers trimmers 2 aftershocks and that movie you know all the s's in the title (laughs) so that's jay of the dead reporting from flushing ohio Okay, Jay of the Dead here. Sorry about all the background noise. We got music and TVs. We're at a truck stop. One of those TA truck stops, which is 30 minutes east of Columbus. I see we got I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. We got Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. (laughs) We got something interesting here. This looks very low budget. It's called The Revenge of Frankenstein. We got Friday the 13th, the original. And then we got a Bella Lugosi movie here for Dr. Shock called The Return of the Vampire. We also got The Grudge. We got Friday the 13th Part 2 and The Grudge 2. See, The Grudge 2 is at every single one of these. We got The Fog Remake. And we got one of those four film favorites that includes Gothica, Dreamcatcher, Queen of the Damned, and then Ghost Ship, which we're going to be talking about Ghost Ship soon on Horror Movie Podcast. And then we got Constantine and the Wicker Man, the Nicolas Cage version. And then, of course, we have The Conjuring. So that's what we got here, but still a couple interesting things, but nothing that intrigues me yet. But don't worry, we'll have some more horror movie reviews coming to you soon. Jay of the Dead here. Okay, so it's Monday night, and I'm in a Walmart in Brownsburg, Indiana, right off Interstate 74. We're making our transition approaching the border of Illinois, and we're heading up to Interstate 80. You want to crash for the night soon? And every Walmart is the same. As you know, they basically have the same crap (laughs) at every place. But there was one movie that caught my attention, and and it's probably terrible, but the cover art's kind of cool, actually. And it's called Forest of the Living Dead. It's maybe a little cool. I mean, like I said, it's probably super cheesy. But it kind of stuck out to me as one of those films that you run into. And even though every Walmart, everybody listening to this, if you walk into your Walmart, it's probably in the $5 bin for you too. It's not as much the store as it is finding this thing in Brownsburg, 
Indiana. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's that's significant. So um, maybe we'll have a review of this shortly in this podcast. And then I see they also, they finally have the Paranormal Activity Collection, the first four films in one DVD set. So just thought I'd mention that. Also, I look around, they got the Ouija Resurrection, which is the Ouija Experiment 2 movie called Devil's Tower. And there's this Robert England film that I've been curious about called The Last Showing. So if anybody has seen that, let us know. I haven't seen it myself, so I've been curious about it. One more little PS here from Walmart in Brownsburg, Indiana. I'm going to try out The Forest of the Living Dead tonight, so I have a review of that coming for you just momentarily. And what's up with this film, The Device? The artwork looks really cool in that. So if anybody has seen The Device, the one with the chick on the cover with all the tentacles or hoses or things coming out of her back, let me know what you think of that. So maybe check that out. Thanks. Okay, and at this point in episode 40 of Horror Movie Podcast, I'm broadcasting from the Comfort Inn Hotel in Crawfordsville, Indiana, the one on Gandhi Street, and I'm broadcasting from room 103. You've heard in these I-80 tapes that earlier this evening, I was at a Walmart in Brownsburg, Indiana, along Interstate 74, and I found a very intriguing-looking flick in the $5 bin called Forest of the Living Dead. Upon further research, I've found that this movie is also known as The Forest, which is a far better title because this has nothing to do with zombies whatsoever, so it's misleading, and it's actually a ghost movie. So here is my feature review of Forest of the Living Dead. 22 years in the investigation was closed. I really thought I'm going to work on The American model went missing right here in Tokyo. One of your own, Ariana Mills. And I've always loved you. I feel like it's my fault she's gone. Do you remember what she was like the night she caught you? No! You'll regret this! When someone dies, the spirit is said to be in between the living and the dead. She was dark before her death, and now she is forever dark as a demon. Forest of the Living Dead was written and directed by Sean Serafin. It's a low-budget indie horror flick that's intended to be a supernatural ghost type of movie, but it's actually more of a crime investigation, police procedural through most of it, and there's not very much horror in this movie at all. The film was made in the United States, but it's set in Tokyo, Japan, and some of the characters speak Japanese, although there are no subtitles to translate for us. They either use another character as a translator, or it's just non-essential dialogue that's not translated at all. So here's the premise. You've got this hotshot womanizer photographer played by Aiden Bristow, who's doing photo shoots and other fun stuff with models in Tokyo. But he starts being investigated by police when his new flings start getting attacked and mutilated by some unseen force. And that's the premise. Now, this is a ghost movie, as I said, so you've got a ticked-off ghost who's wreaking havoc and killing people. I mean, that's basically it. And because it's set in Japan, and has to do with another American photographer who's also working in Tokyo. This movie initially reminds me of Shudder from 2008. That's S-H-U-T-T-E-R. 
Now, that movie isn't the greatest, but it is way better than Forest of the Living Dead. And I will say, I think you should see Shudder if you haven't already, because it has one of the most haunting ending reveals that I've ever seen in a horror film. I think about that all the time, especially when my back hurts. I can barely stand the creepiness. Anyway, Forest of the Living Dead has one star that you'll recognize, and that's Michael Madsen, who is most famously Mr. Blonde or Vic Vega in Reservoir Dogs. One huge problem with this film is the soundtrack is very cliche and blatant and it comes on too strong as well. Now the sound mixing is poorly done and the Foley work, and Foley is where you have sound effects added in post-production, like, you know, footsteps or something. Anyway, the Foley work is almost laughable, and things in this seem very loud and silly. It reminds me of that famous scene from Singing in the Rain, if you've seen that. Anyway, this is one of those examples of a successful cover art on a horror film pulling you in and deceiving you into thinking that it's a good movie. The cover art is decent, but guess what? That monster that you see on the cover art and also on the DVD menu doesn't even appear in the film at all. She, the ghost, appears in a silly white gown with a plastic bag over her head. It's kind of dumb. And they try to do distorted faces with CGI, and it looks horrible and fake. And just like its title, Forest of the Living Dead is completely ridiculous, sometimes laughable, but it is not so bad it's good. So don't waste your time or your money. Forest of the Living Dead is a 2 out of 10, and it's a total avoid. Sometimes when you try to find a gem like this out of the bargain bin, it works out, but more often than not, It doesn't work out. (laughs) Jay of the Dead here. It's Tuesday, January 20th. And we are on Interstate 74 at a truck stop. A pilot truck stop is what it's called. On the border of Indiana and Illinois. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. After finding all these places that have movies like The Ring and stuff... This is the kind of thing right here. Is it a case in point example? I found a Lance Henriksen movie here. It takes place in the woods. It's called It's in the Blood. And this has all kind of um, interesting little pull quotes on it. And I know how pull quotes work, but still. There's a Dread Central pull quote that says One of the finest and most unique independent horror films in recent memory. And on the artwork, it looks like this might be a beastly freak or something. There's some kind of creature in the woods. Wicked Channel rates it 9 out of 10. And uh, Dread Central rates it 4 out of 5 stars. So, we're going to try this out. This will be tonight's feature presentation. So, uh, after we're done traveling today, we'll get this reviewed for you and let you know what It's in the Blood is all about. And at this same place, see, this is what I'm talking about. I found the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which I like. I don't care what anybody says. And then I found this. It appears to be a thriller, and it's got Randy Quaid, and it's called Black Cadillac. It's based on a true story, and the tagline is, Your sins will find you. And it looks interesting, but I don't love Randy Quaid, and it's probably just a thriller. But they have the MGM 90th Anniversary Edition here of The Silence of the Lambs, which people debate that all the time. But, you know, thriller, horror, borderline there. 
And then they got midnight movies, four movies in the same pack, these cheesy movies. They got one called Strange Invaders, Invaders from Mars, Journey to the Seventh Planet, and Invisible Invaders. And then there's one more I want to tell you about here. It's called The Dead Inside. And this looks very interesting. If you look the back of it, it looks insane. And I'm interested in this. It's a horror musical. I might be willing to try it out from Netflix or something, but it looks very interesting. But I'm not a horror musical guy. I'm sorry. I mean, there are decent films that are horror musicals, but I don't really like that blend. But that's something for you to look up. It's called The Dead Inside. But anyway, I'm really excited about this. It's in the Blood movie, and we're going to check it out. We'll have a review for you this evening. So we made a quick stop in Illinois here. We're approaching Peoria. We're about an hour east of Peoria. And uh, at this particular stop, I found that Moscow Zero movie again that I've been talking about earlier. So that was funny to me. It's a Val Kilmer flick. Anyway, and then I found the original 13 Ghosts. So... (laughs) See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, when would you ever think that you would find the original 13 Ghosts somewhere? I mean, this is from back in the day. Um, Off the top of my head, I'm not sure what year that is, but it's in black and white. Anyway, that cracks me up. We're still in Illinois here, and I come in and I see we have basically this same kind of selection of flicks as usual. You know, a lot of the standard stuff that you've seen a million times everywhere else. However, they do have a very low-budget-looking shark flick called Malibu Shark Attack. And they have Jennifer Connelly in Dark Water. I've never seen Dark Water, but I've been curious about it because I love Jennifer Connelly. Who doesn't? And they have the Day of the Dead remake here, and that film is terrible. However, this cover art that they have on this is really noteworthy because it is so over-the-top and disgusting. Awesome. Jay of the Dead here reporting from Interstate 80 in Iowa. And I'll tell you what, in truth, there really isn't a whole lot to see in the drive between West Virginia and Utah. But one of the few landmarks is the Iowa 80 which is the world's largest truck stop, supposedly. So I always stop here on this trek. (laughs) And I just wanted to let you know about that because what we're going to do is go in here and see what kind of horror movies they got. Okay. So I'm at the Iowa 80 truck stop, which is huge. And they have a ton of movies in here, but it basically looks like Walmart inside because it's all new and current movies. There are a couple smaller budget ones that caught my eye a movie called schools out by fangoria looks like another one called hidden agenda but not too intriguing they look pretty low budget so most of the stuff in here is stuff like annabelle and you know current stuff so iowa 80 was a little disappointing for movies however if you ever stop by here definitely order the pulled pork sandwich at their little Iowa 80 kitchen. Okay. So I'm at another pilot truck stop here in Iowa. And um, just 
couple quick notes. Uh, there's a movie called True Nature. I don't know. It looks kind of... The cover's not that impressive, but it's got a lot of good pool quotes on it. It makes me curious about it, but I don't think it's worth checking out. They get a four-pack that has Slither, Crywolf, Altered, and The Return. They got Open Water. <laughs> Shut up, you guys. I like Open Water. They got one that has Soylent Green in it, which is sci-fi, but still a classic. But nothing really of note. No treasures here. We'll keep looking. So I'm at a Come and Go gas station. That's K-U-M in Coralville, Iowa. It's next door to the hotel where we'll be staying tonight. And they got a little media center rack here. They got things like Dark Skies, Soul to Take, Shark Night. Which, by the way, Shark Night has a little uh, <laughs> little cast outtakes music video at the end. It's kind of cheesy, but also kind of funny. Got a Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, and that's exactly the kind of stuff you find on these racks that usually does not interest me at all. And you got Piranha, of course. But the one I wanted to really talk about was uh, a Jessica Bill film here called The Tall Man. It's really a very mild type of mainly thriller touch of horror but it's got a good story so if you want something that's kind of creepy about kids i'd recommend the tall man it's not too bad and did i mention apollo 18 yeah they have that here too oh, i wanted to love that i wanted it to be great we reviewed it on the weekly horror movie podcast and should have been a lot better but it's still okay Okay, and at this point in episode 40 of Horror Movie Podcast, I am broadcasting now from the Comfort Inn Hotel in Coralville, Iowa, which is essentially in the Iowa City area, and this is the one on 9th Street, and I'm broadcasting from room 212. Today you heard my exciting little I-80 taping where I found some intriguing flicks at a truck stop gas station. And this here is a Lance Henriksen film from 2012 called It's In the Blood. It's also a Beastly Freaks flick. Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. You know, I tried to call you over the last year and keep getting an answer machine. I was real surprised we picked up. You have a responsibility to protect the things you love. It's in the Blood screened at a few film festivals in 2012, including the Phoenix Film Festival, which coincidentally is where the I-80 tapes began on this journey. But it didn't get a DVD release until about 2013. I hadn't even heard of this movie and I was totally surprised that it's a Lance Henriksen film. But as I think about it, it just occurs to me that I may have heard an interview with Lance Henriksen on Forgotten Flicks where he talked about this movie and his plugs, you know, he was promoting it. And I was interested in seeing it back then. That just now occurred to me, so that's funny. <laughs> but the reason I grabbed this movie and it, it caught my attention today is if you look carefully at the cover art, once again, the cover art, there's a forest depicted, and then at the top, you can see this very creepily shaped character that really makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. So from what I could immediately gather by looking at the cover art, because I do not read the back of the DVD case, what I gathered is that this is some sort of survival horror flick 
out in the woods where the guys have to survive against some beastly freak, kind of like that movie Animal, for instance. Well, there's good news and there's bad news about this movie. The good news is, what I thought is true, this is survival horror and there is a beastly freak out in the woods. The bad news is, it's also a poorly executed psychological horror film. Now just to be clear, I would have been over the moon nuts about this movie because of what they try to do, which is ambitious, and that is to run the psychological horror story concurrently along with the beastly freak survival piece, and in that case you'd have a result something like that movie Bear from 2010, which I was talking about in the comments recently, I think with Juan, and with Bear and with this movie you've got the inner suffering of the characters actually sometimes eclipsing the threat of the prowling creature. And that's super cool to me. It's very unlikely, but it kind of underscores the severity of the kind of psychological horror that they're going through. So I'm cool with that if it's well done. And like I said, it's ambitious. This is a very difficult trick to pull off. But I should say, speaking of ambitious, that this film also has the ability to work on multiple levels, kind of like the Babadook, where the monster could be interpreted as just metaphorical and not real. And honestly, that probably is the case here. But since I love Beastly Freaks movies so much, you know me, I went with the real perception. Well, my major gripe with this film's execution is the way that we get these psychedelic flashes and horror imagery right in the beginning of the film. And it comes at us completely out of context, out of nowhere, right at the outset. So the film tries the audience's patience, you know, without developing your trust at all. And you just have to come along for the ride. And it keeps inserting these various hallucination type scenes throughout the movie. Now, I believe that they were trying to convey an all-encompassing, overwhelming mental anguish and suffering, but I just don't like the way these scenes are filmed. So let me talk about the premise here. You've got an estranged father and son. The father's played by Lance Henriksen, and he's also the town's sheriff. And then you've got the son, who's played by Sean Elliott. And this son character has a photographic memory. Now, the prodigal's son returns, and he decides to go hunting, or hiking, or shooting, or whatever they're doing up in the woods with his dad. But while they're up in the woods, they encounter this malicious beast that begins to hunt them. And as they're trapped in the woods and prowled upon by this creature, the two men also have to face their inner demons, which are not literally demons, but, you know, things that haunt them from their past. And in this case, it stems from an extremely traumatic experience that they both had to endure together. So if you can be patient and hang in there through this dumb hallucination, dreamlike, drug-trippy looking scenes, then it's a pretty disturbing story as we slowly learn what that big traumatic experience was because we see it unfold bit by bit and it's pretty strong. There's even a very similar story beat there to that movie Choose, which was a movie that we reviewed just in our previous episode. So that's kind of neat. But the Beastly Freak itself is very creepy looking to me, for the most part, and mainly due to its body shape. 
It's like a very tall, skinny Sasquatch that can stand on two legs, but it charges and creeps toward you, stalks at you on all fours. So it gives it this gangly, J-horror type of creepy appearance that when you have something with long limbs that could walk on two legs, but walks toward you on all four, that does something to me. I don't like that. I do like it, but it freaks me out. Now, the face of the creature is less effective. It's reminiscent of Venom from Spider-Man. And the creature itself also reminds me of some sort of, like, alien stick creature thing. And it's done with CGI. Not overly convincing CGI, but they tried to mask its limitations by using fog a lot. So, I still like the creature. And it's probably not meant to be a literal beast anyway. So, there you have it. Now, the title, It's in the Blood refers to the fact that there have been lawmen in this family for the past four generations, and the sheriff, father, suspects that it's also in the blood for his son. Now, there are some other problems with this film. For starters, the son's name is October. And I'm sorry if any of you listeners, if your name is October. I'm sorry for saying this, but it seems kind of weird to me. And it's just awkward in this film. Speaking of awkward, there's a very awkward scene where the father is teaching his son to drive a stick shift by using a sexual metaphor. And he takes it to the nth degree. It's way too far. It's kind of weird. And there's one scene where a character cuts his own arm with a knife and way up by the handle of the knife, not where the blade is cutting, but by the handle, the fake blood mechanism was obviously leaking and you see blood dripping down from up on the handle. And I can't believe that they did not catch that in editing and redo that scene. It's terrible. There are some survival tactics that are discussed and employed in this movie that are utterly ridiculous. And I'm no Bear grills, but I'm telling you, this stuff is dumb. It's almost funny. There's one scene that does an entertaining variation of the creepy character whose back is toward us. We see this in so many horror films. And then as we approach, we know that we're in for a jump scare. Well, watch the way that this movie tries to throw you off the scent, and it's kind of interesting. There's a theme that I think that you could assign to this film or read in this film, and that's the horrors of not being an alpha male type of personality. The father and son are both not alpha males, and they suffer because of it. It's kind of interesting. And just know, once again, that this movie will test your patience. The narrative itself is not linear. It does very weird things with the uh, narrative. I would explain it to you, but it's not worth your time, and it's kind of annoying. So, It's in the Blood is truly a mixed bag, and I mean, it's probably required viewing for all Lance Henriksen fans because it's sort of an unusual little movie, and so it's cool to see him in it, although he does not have much to work with here, but you can tell he's trying to elevate the material. For the average horror fan, this is right down the middle with positives and negatives, so I give It's In The Blood a 5 out of 10, and I say rent it. And I would consider this particular gem hunt there on the I-80 tapes a success. Okay, so it is Wednesday right now on our journey, the trek across the country, and I am in one of my favorite places, inexplicably. (laughs) It's uh, Grinnell, Iowa. 
and then to Walmart in Grinnell, Iowa. And then even though Walmart's usually just kind of a dud for this kind of stuff, I had to stop in here because this is the town that I just feel like something is beckoning me to stay. So it's really freaky and weird, and I feel that way every time I'm here. So there's something about it. But anyway, I see while I'm in here, Walmart now has the Saw series, the films one through seven, on DVD in here for like ten bucks, and also um, a movie called Gnome Alone. <laughs> And it looks like it's supposed to be horror. That's kind of weird. There's something called the Atticus Institute. It looks a little bit interesting. Get another monster with black eyes. And then, of course, you had wolves come out this week, and that's here. And you've also got that um, Ouija resurrection. But otherwise, not much else to report from the Walmart in Grinnell, Iowa. Looks like there's one more movie. It's a BBC film called Save Our Skins. That looks like that's supposed to be horror, too. But anyway, look up Gnome Alone. I wonder what that's all about. (laughs) What they won't think of next. Jay of the Dead here. It's Wednesday afternoon, about 5 o'clock. And I'm in West Des Moines, Iowa. Big shout out to Josh. I'm in Des Moines. And I just came out of seeing American Sniper. Not a horror film, but if you like the cinema, it's a good movie. I recommend checking it out. We'll talk more about it on Movie Podcast Weekly this next week. Coming up, you want to hear that review. But it is nominated for Best Picture, so check it out. It's in theaters now. And Josh, I saw it at the Jordan Creek Parkway. Nice little mall, nice little theater, and they got a cheesecake factory next door. Can't beat that. Wednesday evening and I'm reporting from a come and go fuel station in Walnut, Iowa. They got lots of those giant windmills here. Kind of interesting and apparently these people around here must be into possession movies because they got The Possession and they've got The Last Exorcism Part 2 and they've got Paranormal Activity 2 and they've got The Woman in Black. Which I really dig, by the way. I've said that before, but it's a good flick. If you haven't given that a try yet, make sure you watch The Woman in Black. Anyway, not many surprises here. Okay, it's Thursday, and at this place here in uh, Lexington, Nebraska, it's interesting. You get a lot of things that you don't usually see, which is um, neat. You got something called Red Hook. Looks low budget, but still got something called Eye Murders, got Stir of Echoes 2, The Homecoming, and then uh, Detention. You also got The Eye, the American version. Then you got stuff like Pandorum, Last House on the Left remake. Not a bad place for fines, but these look low budget, so I seriously doubt that they're worth the time. But it's neat to see uh, things that I've never seen anywhere else before. Alright, we're on day four of the travels, and we are in Wyoming, eastern Wyoming. We are approaching Cheyenne, the place I always feel like I'm going to get killed. (laughs) Anyways, so I walk in here, and they got a lot of movies in this um, travel center of America, and a lot of it's more of the same, like The Grudge 2 or... Final Destination 3. But in here, I thought it was interesting. They have um, Lake Placid, which is, you know, not too out of the ordinary. And they also have Duel, 
you know, that Steven Spielberg film from the early 70s. And a lot of people consider that horror. It wouldn't be horror by today's standard, but I can understand the argument. And I think it's worth seeing. I think it's pretty well done, actually. I think for a lot of people, it'd kind of be a snooze fest and really be underwhelming. But if you pay attention to how Spielberg does it and note... Well, the premise, in case people don't know, there's a guy on a road trip. Kind of like I'm on a road trip. And then there's this truck (laughs) that uh, he cuts off or something. Anyway, the truck gets mad at him, the driver in the truck. And he starts chasing him and harassing him and um, driving dangerously, trying to run him off the road. And that's the majority of the movie, actually. And pay attention to when you see this aggressive driver. It's pretty interesting. Anyway, did I mention they have Underworld here, Friday the 13th Part 2, and The Purge? So yeah, a lot of the same old, same old. But um, it was cool to see Duel here, because that's one that you really can't find that often. Okay, well that just about wraps up episode 40 of the I-80 Tapes of Horror Movie Podcast. I am presently broadcasting here from the Comfort Inn Hotel on Grand Avenue in Laramie, Wyoming, room 136. So I'm sorry if this episode ended a little bit anticlimactically. I was hoping to fit in at least one more review, but I had to edit the past two nights. And so last night I worked on this podcast while I was in Lincoln, Nebraska at the Quality Inn in Suites there on Husker Circle, room 109. And by the way, I've been shouting out all these locations in case any of you live near them or you've been there. You can let me know. The other reason I only reviewed the two movies while out on the road, I wish I could have done one every single night, but I really wanted to capture what I actually do in everyday life while doing this episode, which is I stop at a gas station and I see if there's a lesser known horror flick or something that catches my eye and looks intriguing and then I try it out. And honestly, the only two that piqued my interest along this trip were Forest of the Living Dead, unfortunately, and It's in the Blood. But I thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed this show. I also want to thank my travel companion, my Necromomicon, for joining us this week. She was patient as I stopped to look through all the movies at every single gas station. (laughs) We love your comments, and I would particularly love to hear your thoughts on this episode, especially if you liked it. If you hated it, well, we got a regular themed episode next Friday, so look forward to that. But get involved in our horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, or you can email me at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And my favorite way to receive feedback is through voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all our past episodes, including the archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis at our site, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can download us and you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. And you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. And be sure to check out Wolfman Josh's podcast at moviestreamcast.com. He produces a great show over there, as you might imagine. And you can follow The Wolfman on Twitter at Icarus Arts. Also, don't forget to visit Dr. Shock's daily blog at dvdinfatuation.com. 
It's a movie blog, and it's tremendous. It's one of the very best film criticism blogs on the internet. It's a must-read for anybody who loves movies. You can follow The Mad Doctor over on Twitter at DVD Infatuation. And if you dig all sorts of movies in general and you want to keep up with the new stuff that's being released in theaters each week, be sure to try out our sister show, Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review at least two new movies every single Tuesday. And again, all of this will be linked here in the show notes for episode 40. And I think that's it. So I thank you for listening to this little horror podcasting travel log. Be sure to join us again next Friday for Dr. Shock's theme episode, When Science Goes Too Far, on Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.